Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 8, as we're going through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and we had a thematic element to the books. So I've mentioned this, Matthew's gospel is more thematic than chronological, and we had the themes of healing last week, and now when we come to part 2 of chapter 8, we have really, starting with verse 18, you will see that these things connect. We're going to finish the chapter tonight, we're going to read it in just a second, but there's a, there's a phrase that drops... Uh, pops up at us, and it's the other side. The other side of what? It's the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is very different than that side of the Sea of Galilee, as we will see if you're not familiar with the story. So the text tonight builds with this introduction of discipleship, the apostles or the disciples getting on a boat with Jesus, the storm, and then going to the other side and what they encounter there, the the exceedingly violent men the demon-possessed men, and, but what really connects the text together tonight is the other side, and we might say call to the other side because there are great principles about being a disciple and following Jesus in this story that we can connect to the idea of the other side because Jesus meets us here, but he's going to take us there. If we want to be in Christ or a new creation, all things have passed away, all things are new. So we're being transformed, and the way we're being transformed is by living a life of faith. And the life of faith takes us from what we know and are comfortable with to steps of faith to what we don't know, are uncomfortable with, that we might grow and become more like Jesus. And that's the other side. So hold that thought in your minds as we study this text tonight. Whether And if you don't know Jesus personally, just know this, that the other side is the good side. It's the right side, and it's the side of life. It's the side of passing from death to life, from despair to hope, and from uh, condemnation to justification, and, and hell to heaven. It's, it's the right side, but it's a process that God wants to work in our lives to make us more like Jesus, and that's what we're going to see tonight in the text. So we pick it up tonight with that introduction in verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe, that's one who studied the Old Testament, he came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples, he said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. Very large lake, if you will. It's big. I've been there. It's, it's large. Think like Lake Tahoe. Maybe a little larger. You can surf in it when the wind's blowing. So I'll give you an idea. It can get turned up. Verse 24. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And then his disciples said to him, uh, they came to him and they awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? 
Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he had come to the other side, to the country of Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a good way off from there, there was a herd of many swine or pigs feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of the swine. And he said to them, Go. And so when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. The other Gospels tell us it was about 2,000 pigs. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of action right there in that story. Verse 33, Then those who kept them fled, and they went into the city and told everything, uh, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. It's a fascinating story, and it all connects, as I said, because it starts with great multitudes... And the command, he gave the command is to go to the other side. Great multitudes, but a command to go to the other side where there's very scary, exceedingly <laughs> scary men. The other gospels tell us men that were naked that could not be tamed and no one could go that way. We'll come back to them later on. But that's what was on the other side. But God's going to do a great work on the other side. He's going to teach them ministry lessons by what happens, what they see and what they're part of on the other side. So these, this conversation with these two different people who say, oh, the one says, I'll follow you, and, and the other one says, but first got to do this. And then they, there's only so many tickets on the boat, and only a few get on the boat. And then this is what happens on the boat. Then they get to the other side. This is what happens. And this, this apex, this amazing story, one of the other Gospels tells us that when the city saw the, one of the men clothed and in his right mind, they begged Jesus to leave. They would rather have two crazy men terrifying everyone in the dark and making a long way to go around them to avoid them than see them in a right mind touched by Jesus. And that's the way some people are. And by the way, that's the way some cities and countries are. If you haven't figured that out. So it is kind of a difficult ending in that they begged him to depart from their region. And we know from the other Gospels, he did depart because Jesus... In, in time, space, and matter, in the, in the time of self-determination, he doesn't force himself on, on people. He, he will draw people to himself, but he'll never force you robotically to go against the self-determined will that he gives all, all, all human beings. The perfect accountability is in eternity, where he does have the final say on everything. But in this side of eternity, he gives us that choice. And if a city says, we don't want you, go, he would respect that. Now, as I mentioned, this other side starts the text, and the other side is in the text. They start on this side of the Sea of Galilee, the Capernaum area where Jesus had begun to establish his ministry, and they end up on the other side. And you can, you can learn a lot by communities, because on this side of the Sea of Galilee, there was lots of synagogues. People were God-fearing as a whole. There was moral standards that affected society. There was at least less evident evil and more fear of the Lord. There are many scribes and religious leaders, but on the other side, 
There's two crazy guys out of their mind, demon-possessed, that terrify everybody. There's people raising pigs, which was against the law in the Old Testament for a specific reason that was limited to that covenant at that time. They're just doing what they want to do. They've got naked people out of their mind, and they've got people raising thousands of pigs, and that's the kind of city they are. Many of you know back in 2008, I did a prayer walk from San Ysidro all the way to Maricopa, Kern County, where I prayed for our state and I prayed for our country. I walked Coast Highway all the way in increments. Not at one time, but by the time I finished, I was doing 30 miles a day. One of those nights, one of those days, I walked from the Los Angeles River there at Seal Beach. You know where Seal Beach goes into New, uh, Long Beach and right there, and it's a nice area. And It says entering Los Angeles County, and so I had Hannah at the time drop me off there. Jennifer had a women's ministry that night with WG, and, and I said, just come pick me up. I'll be in Redondo Beach or Hermosa. It's like 22, 23 miles. I'm going to prayer walk this way. So that night, that late afternoon and that night, I went through Long Beach on a Friday night. The cops pulled me over and said, you better get out of here. They <laughs> said, so what are you doing? I was like, I'm praying for Long Beach. Like, you couldn't do it at home? <laughs> and I, I said, no, I, I need to do it. And he's like, well, I suggest you do it before dark so I don't, we don't find you on the backside of the 710. I'm like, oh, I've got faith. He's like, good for you. And as soon as he left, I'm like, I'm going to walk a little faster. Because uh, <laughs> I got faith and common sense. So I, I, did, I did pick up my pace a little bit. I'll never forget it. I was reading Psalm 119 out loud when they pulled up and told me I, I should get out of Long Beach before it got dark. Uh, it was pretty interesting. But anyways, I made it all at Hermosa Beach that night. I, I, I All at Hermosa Beach. And something that really got my attention, I've never forgotten it. When I went through Redondo Beach, I noticed something. Because when, you, when you're walking, it just goes slower, right? It's like the old, you know, the mission trail. You walk 30 miles, you connect all the missions all the way to Northern California. 30 miles is, you know, eight hours. You get, if you're walking, you're talking, you get to think about things, you see things, you're not in a hurry. And I noticed something. When I got to Redondo Beach, I noticed everything was clean. I didn't see graffiti. I come through Wilmington, of course, you know, like a port town. And, but I, I got to... Redondo Beach, and I noticed, hey, there's, there's really no trash or graffiti. This city's kind of clean. And then I noticed churches. And I suddenly realized there's lots of churches. There's a church here, there's a church there, and there's a church here. I was like, well, okay, that's interesting. But the moment I came to Hermosa Beach, there was trash and bad, naughty newspapers and graffiti and liquor stores and people that looked like they lived on the other side wandering the streets. And I never forgot that because I realized one city chose this and another city chose that. And that's the way it works. God showed me that on that night. Jennifer picked me up at 1130. I said, hey, you know, there's a big difference between Redondo Beach and Hermosa Beach. And I've noticed multiple things. And I didn't see any churches in Hermosa Beach. I'm not saying there aren't any. I'm just saying I didn't see any. And so it, it that's what it's like to the other side, because this side of the Sea of Galilee is like, it was like this. But on the other side, it's like that. It's scary. And I'm thinking if we live on this side, our property's probably worth more. Our income's probably more. And we probably feel a little bit safer. We're not really interested in going to the other side. I like this side. I mean, if you gave me a choice to live between, you know, between living in Dana Point or the Inland Empire, I'm going to choose Dana Point because it's a little more appealing, not to mention the sea breeze. We're, we're like that. We have natural dispositions, and we want to have Jesus and feel comfortable. 
In fact, if you told me, hey, you can retire in Dana Point on the beach with Jesus and just do something on Sunday mornings, kind of low-key, and you got these tenured benefits as a minister of Calvary Chapel, I'd be like, sign me up. I'm going to Salt Creek every day. But if you said, no, and when you're in your 70s, we want to really stretch you, the Lord's sending you to a, a, a third world nation where you're subject to all kinds of diseases you've never been exposed to, and I want you to lose your life and serve these people. And I want you to give up everything you've worked hard to accumulate in uh, 62 years in America. I'd be like, well, I don't like that. I don't like that plan at all. Well, that might just be the other side. But if, if the Lord or you or someone representing the Lord, a prophetic word, would say, well, the thing is, you're going to get lazy and soft and finish soft and short of God's plans for you, playing it safe and Dana Point until you're 82 or 92. But if you go to this third world country, a country you had swore you'd never go to, and you serve the Lord there down the stretch and learn this language and that much more glory in eternity, which would be the better decision? Of course, the latter of the two. But we move toward the comfort of the flesh as opposed to the risk of the spirit. And you have such a contrast in this story. They're on this side, but Jesus is like, hey, I'm commanding you to go to the other side. America's really good with comfortable Christianity. We've done it really well. In fact, better than any, uh, probably any nation in history. But the, the legacy of the Church of Jesus Christ being fruitful and impactful is the Church of Jesus Christ that takes risk. People in Jesus' name who willingly go out for adventure without the guarantees and go for it. And that's what this story is about. These men, some of these men on this boat are going to change the world these men who fished on this lake, who are scared to death on this night. This is, this is boot camp 101. This is like Bud's Navy SEAL training for the ministry. We're going to rock you. Jesus is rock. There's no soft landing like, hey, welcome to my seminary. Welcome to my school of ministry. Oh, aren't we going to study like the Torah or something? No, we're going to get on a ship on a lake where you have your livelihood. And I'm going to scare the daylights out of you while I'm sleeping. And then we're going to go confront these naked men and cast those demons into pigs, and they're going to be rejected by the city. You ready for ministry? I'm not sure. But that's the way the human experience can be on the other side. When you think about 2024 and being used mightily of the Lord, think the other side. If you're writing goals for the year, think the other side. Because the other side is where we grow, and it's where we mature and we're prepared for eternity and the fruits and the rewards and the stewardships of eternity. Not on the safe side, but on the other side. The safe side is known. See, we know what we know this night. But the future of faith with the Lord can be so unknown. So let's think about these things in this story tonight. The first thing is the separation of the multitude from disciples. Did you catch that? There's great multitudes. And... You know, you can have big churches, you can have big ministries and big followings and all kinds of likes and dislikes and comments and blogs and YouTubes and podcasts and this and that. But you know, when you really get down to going to the other side, being scared to death and half-naked people being cast, the demons being cast into pigs, you know, you kind of lose your, your like followers. There's not a lot of people that like to follow and get the weekly uh, podcast update of that kind of stuff. This is the real stuff. This is the Jesus stuff. And what Jesus does, he gets the multitude and he separates the disciples from the multitude. Now, we just saw in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, wide and broad is the way that leads to death and many go thereby. 
He said, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and few enter thereby. That's the way you want to go. And that's what he's doing right here. He's got a multitude. Uh, you know, he just, we, just said, we just saw in the previous verses, he healed everybody. If you're healing everybody, you're going to get a big following. But the following of Jesus wasn't about healing everybody. It was about the call to discipleship. So right away, when we think about the other side, is we need to become disciples, not churchgoers. Not part of the multitude that just makes a convenient thing. We need to be disciples. And what we learn in this first part of the story, point number one, is that Jesus separates disciples from the multitude. He separates disciples from the multitude. And notice in this story that the scribe, who's very learned in the Old Testament and the scriptures, he knows the scriptures, the scribe. He's like, hey, this guy, this guy's healed everybody. This might be the Messiah. This rabbi, I want to I be with this rabbi. And he says, I will follow you anywhere. What, do you think Jesus is going to be the king like David and conquer the Romans? Do you think Jesus is going to be like the high priest like Caiaphas and Ananias, co-high priest, and rule at the highest religious power like the Metropolitan of the Russian Orthodox Church or the Archbishop of Canterbury of the Anglican Church or the Pope himself of the Catholic Church or whoever the most important person in Calvary Chapel is, like that kind of following, where you actually, you know, you have the nice cars, gated communities and all this stuff. Are you following him that way? I'll follow you anywhere because you're moving up. You're ascending and climbing because you're healing everybody. You can solve any problem. That's the kind of followers he got early on in his ministry. Jesus said, the son of man has, foxes and birds have more certainty of where they can rest than the son of man. What I find interesting about this story is, he, what do you say, I have nowhere to lay my head? I mean, that's no, there's no guarantee. When you have anywhere to lay your head, that's how he came into the world, right? Born in a manger. His parents couldn't get a room at the hotel. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So in his first coming, he's got nowhere to lay his head. All these 140,000 homeless people in California alone. I think it's 140,000. It's a lot of people who have nowhere to lay their head. Quite a problem. It's, it's nationwide. It's worldwide. Go to India. How many people are homeless that have nowhere to lay their head? The human experience has plenty of people who have nowhere to lay their head. And sometimes we're going to follow Jesus or a religion or some philosophy because it gives us a better chance and a better place to lay our head. And certainly for this scribe, it looks like Jesus is trending. His lights are going up. His followers are going up, if you will. And Jesus said, don't let this throw you off. I've got nowhere to lay my head. What I find most interesting about this statement is Jesus sleeping in the boat in the next passage. He literally has nowhere to lay his head. He's so busy about the Father's business, he doesn't have a nice room at the inn or here or there on Capernaum. He's literally in the boat in the worst storm ever, probably a demonically inspired storm, He's so exhausted, he's sleeping in the boat. Fishermen who made their living on this lake are scared to death, probably more than they've ever been in their life. Jesus is so exhausted from all the ministry he did, he's sleeping on the boat. So it becomes exhibit A that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's crashed out on the boat. Zeal's a funny thing. When Jesus taught about the parable of the soils, he talked about 
where that, that seed goes in, it sprouts up right away. But then when there's persecution, that, that seed, it wilts from the heat of the sun. And it represents people who start out like this, but don't take root, and then they melt away. The advantage of being in ministry 35 years is seeing how often that actually happens, whether you like it or not. I've seen the parable of the soils lived out time and time again at Calvary Chapel Vista in the late 80s, in Virginia Beach in the 90s, in Vermont in the 90s, in, again, in other churches in the 90s, and then Calvary Costa Mesa in the 2000s, and here over 19 years now. Emotion can be misleading. There's a place for emotion, because, of course, God gave us emotion, but remember, it's always fact, faith, feelings. That's the order. The fact is the promises of God and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Faith in the person of the Lord, faith in his promises and what he's going to do, and then the feelings are subject to that. I literally pray every day that I would uh, be situationally aware and I would respond and not react, and that I would have dominion over my feelings, and I've done better this year. No one's a perfect stoic, if you will, but you know, the Proverbs are filled with Proverbs like the person that can shut his mouth instead of babbling is counted wise. Because any fool's counted wise when he holds his peace. And the multitude of words is not lacking. So I've just worked a lot on this year. Like when I feel like I need to say something, ask myself, do I really need to say something? And am I re- reacting right now because I'm upset about this? And what good is it going to do? Or is there a better response? That's what I mean by being a better version of you at the end of 2023 than the start of 2023. If you just let the Lord do those little things. But emotions can overwhelm us. And, and you, usually what shoots up like a fireworks really quick with the Lord and has no foundation explodes and falls apart and melts away and often denies the Lord. What you catch them with, you've got to keep them with. And if you catch them with bells and whistles and a dog and pony show and all these emotions, then you've got to keep them with that. So you got to keep coming up with new ideas to entertain everybody, maintain everybody, and, and hit the emotions, and oh, and ooh. And like, if you catch people for Christ with the word of God exalting Christ, then you can keep them with the word of God and exalting Christ. What you catch them with, you keep them with. I, although I can be emotional at times, I, I realize like my confidence isn't that I can have perspiration but it, that the word of God has inspiration. And so the, the mistake of this scribe is he had all that scriptural knowledge and the one who's fulfilling it is right before him. But Jesus, Jesus knew his heart. He's like, hey, you know what? Like you're, you're making a big claim right now to follow me anywhere. In three years time, I'm going to be hanging on the cross in Jerusalem, the laughingstock of the nation, uh, of, the laughingstock of humanity that I'm dying for. So there's, there's, a, there's a misleading that emotions can get where we get really excited and it just, it's based upon emotion. It, it works that way in a relationship. If a relationship is based upon emotion, it will fall apart eventually because emotion will fall apart. Then there's the other person where it, it stated that Jesus said, he's like, hey, I got to take care of my, my father. Now, I know that one because I've been taking care of my dad for seven years as power of attorney and all those things. And many of you know the same thing in your lives. But what if I put off serving the Lord for the last seven years because I've been taking care of my dad? I had this thought the other day visiting my dad, who's 93 now. I thought, gosh, you know, when my dad went into uh, uh, independent living and then assisted living, 
Who would have ever thought he'd live like another 10 years and still be healthy as ever could be right now? My dad, Jennifer, yesterday was like, how's your dad? I go, he's great. We're talking about this and that. And Pop's just like, he's just rolling like a juggernaut, right? Like Father Abraham, right to 100. He's not even looking for an off-ramp or a rest stop. Pop is, was sharp and laughing and, yeah, like if I was waiting to serve the Lord because of family obligations, it, obviously there's a balance because, you know, if you neglect your marriage, it's no good to serve the Lord. That is your first ministry. And if you don't honor your father and mother, then you're breaking the law of God. And that's not a good thing to do. But honoring your father and mother looks like this when you're five, like this when you're 15, and like this when you're 65. It, it, it gets different seasons. So I do honor my father, and I did honor my mother before she stepped in eternity. But I can't put, what if I put worship generation on hold? What if I got up here in 2015 and said, you know, I've got to find another way. My dad's got this estate. I'm going to devote myself to taking care of my dad until he steps into eternity. Well, seven years later, here we are. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, Visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, You can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.